Got a different feeling week this week for the Minor League Baseball Podcast, the show before the show, as we welcome you into uh, today's episode, which you are getting uh, a few days before you're normally uh, used to seeing us arrive in your podcast feed. Hi, everybody. I'm Tyler Ron. Sam Dykstra is in New York City. Hello, Sam. Hello, Tyler. It's uh, This is a different, ordinarily this week, you'd be getting set to head to Chicago's New Jersey, to MLB Network, uh, to the, the Major League Baseball first-year player draft. Obviously, that is not going down uh, in 2020 the way it has been in years past, but we're still here to provide some pre-draft analysis for everybody. Yeah, and it, it, what would have been even weirder this year is that this draft was supposed to take place in Omaha right. initially. Um, yeah. which would have been part of the College World God. Series. Yeah, it would have been a really cool atmosphere anyways, and hopefully more players, especially college guys, would have been able to attend. Uh, that that didn't go down this year. I was looking forward to maybe going and maybe finally going to one of these runzas that uh, you keep talking about. But, They're fantastic. Uh, yeah, next, been, hopefully next year. I would have been Fingers very much looking forward, it, looking forward to it for you yeah. on your behalf. I would have been excited for your first runza experience. Well, maybe next year, and uh, that, that'll be the whole podcast next year. It won't be anything else. Oh, goodness gracious. So, uh, yes, yeah, so we welcome you into this week's episode of the show before the show. Um, this is the first of two episodes this week, and uh, we're going to cover the Major League Baseball first-year player draft here today, which starts on Wednesday. 7 o'clock Eastern time. Um, so much to discuss with the draft. Later on this week, uh, we'll be following up with uh, another episode, kind of one of our uh, more traditional, I guess, episodes. Um, this one will be a little bit quicker. We'll go with a draft preview. We're going to hear from a guy who is very familiar with the uh, the draft process, having gone through it just a year ago, and uh, one of the top prospects in the Miami Marlins organization, J.J. Blade, who will join us. Um, and obviously there is so much more going on right now in the world than just uh, baseball and, uh, and trying to get baseball baseball back on a field and the draft and all that kind of stuff we if you have not listened to last week's episode yet um very much encourage you to go back and listen to that. We were joined by Kansas City Royals prospect Nick Heath, who is just uh, incredible for us to talk to, and uh, he voiced so much of uh, what he was feeling, and uh, you know, told us several times after the interview was done, and even on social media, how happy he was to just be able to share what was in his heart um, regarding the the killing of, of George Floyd and the the protest movement and everything that has come up since then. Um, we talked to Nick for a while last week. I think that interview ended up going over. 30 minutes on the podcast but it was fantastic and we've got such incredible feedback from it um and nick is just as good of a guy as uh he seems to be on social media like it's we can tell by talking to him oh that's all you are just a real good human being uh and it was really great to talk to him so if you have not listened to that interview yet uh we really urge you to go back and listen to that from last week today we're going to talk um like I said, a little bit more uh, just on the baseball side, and uh, we're going to dive into this draft. We'll hear from J.J. Blade, and we'll wrap this up. A little mini episode for you this week, and then uh, we'll catch you again later on in the week. But, uh, yeah, as noted, the Major League Baseball first-year player draft will be here on Wednesday, 7 o'clock Eastern time, Wednesday evening. The first round will get started. This is a vastly different draft from uh, really any in Major League history. Ordinarily 40 rounds. Uh, it has been sliced down to five rounds for 2020. I know that's led to a lot of players already pulling themselves out of the draft, deciding they're going to go to college, all that type of stuff. Um, there are so many new factors in play this year. Uh, Sam, what do you anticipate seeing? Obviously, we'll talk about some of the top talent. We basically already know who the, the top pick in this draft is going to be, and we'll talk about him uh, coming up here in a little bit. But what do you anticipate Wednesday is going to feel like? 
Yeah, that that was one of the weirder things about writing a preview for this. And and by the time you guys see this, the the toolshed preview will be up. Consider this kind of a companion piece to that. But go find that on, on the site. But thinking about how every draft year is different, and you know, there's a whole new cast of uh, prospects that come in, and we're talking about different types of talent. Some years it's skewed towards high school players i think about a couple years ago when royce lewis hunter green and Mackenzie gore with the top three picks some years it's going the other way towards college guys and this year it's a little bit more of a college heavy draft especially on the pitcher side and we'll get into that later Um, but then you think about what's the big story here and the biggest difference is that there is no day three um all, all five rounds, all five rounds are going to be televised, which is pretty neat. It, it's never really happened where we've been able to watch an entire draft on TV. And that's kind of exciting for you people at home. But there are 35 rounds of the draft that have just been completely truncated off. Uh, and it's going to be years before we see what the actual effects of that are. Uh, you know, with the weird thing about the Major League Baseball draft, um, in the ways that we don't talk about other drafts, you know, the NFL draft, guys get taken they're immediately put on the top team right like those are franchise building um and sometimes immediately we're seeing the ramifications of those drafts mlb it's always going to take a couple years just because of the development system we get them here first in the minors then they became major leaguers but this draft especially we're not going to know what the ramifications are for years away because some teams are only taking four players. The Astros and Red Sox only have four picks in this year's draft. Um, other teams get to take a little bit more, but it's not enough to completely build up a farm system. Um, you know, there's no minor league baseball happening right now. There's no short season teams to be filled out. It's part of the reason why they cut it to five rounds. And um, you know, there's other things that might be coming into place about what minor league baseball is going to look like going forward. But there might be a time three, four years from now when we wonder why is this rookie class so small or why isn't it filled with the talent that we used to see coming rolling in every year. And it's because a draft like this happens where only five rounds of players are selected. There's a couple non-drafted free agents this year, but they can only sign for at max $20,000. Um, so you're going to see, as Tyler mentioned, you're going to see a lot of high school guys who may have been taken the sixth, seventh round. Okay, we'll take some of the savings from our early picks. We'll give it to you, try to talk you into joining the pros. You can't do that anymore if you weren't drafted. So a lot of these guys are going to go to college. Maybe they'll go to junior college where they're eligible for the draft next year. I'd be interested to see if anybody takes the Carter Stewart route and goes overseas for a couple of years and, you know, gets paid to play professionally in Japan, South Korea, um, places like that. And then by the time you're 22, 23, you're done with that contract. You can come back to the States. Is that going to be an option? We'll have to see. I think college baseball is going to be flush with talent next year. Um, but in terms of this draft, it's just going to feel weird. You asked me the question, Tyler, to open this segment. What is Wednesday going to look like? Wednesday is going to be basically normal. We're going to take the first rounders. We're going to take the competitive balance round a guys and everybody there should probably sign just because the money is still the same. There's going to be deferments. You know, you can only get a hundred thousand dollars of your signing bonus this year. Half of the remainder will come next year. Half the other half of that remainder will come in 2022. Um, but still the, there's going to be so much money on the board that it would be silly for a first round pick not to sign unless they they really don't get the money they're looking for. Um, so that part's going to look the same. It's rounds two through five that are going to potentially look weird. And then this whole un- undrafted free agent 
situation, that's going to look really weird. You're basically only going to see college seniors sign for that. Maybe a couple of college juniors who know next year they have no leg to stand on when they get into the draft. Um, but I'm not going to be uh, – I, I would really be surprised, I should say, uh, if any high schoolers who aren't taken in the first – taken in those five rounds end up signing um yeah it's it's going to be a very old class when all things are put together looked at looking at who enters the professional ranks through this process in a couple of years down the line let's talk talent in this draft uh it has seemed for a while like a foregone conclusion that spencer torkelson the uh phenomenally named first baseman from arizona state will go to uh the detroit tigers with the first pick after that uh it seems like virtually every mock draft that you see it gets jumbled from there on i know uh in the latest mlb pipeline draft uh jonathan mayo has got uh austin martin the third baseman slash outfielder from vanderbilt going to the orioles at number two there's also some discussion about nick gonzalez from new mexico state who was a tool shed subject uh, earlier on in the spring that he could go at number two. Jonathan's got him going at number four to the Royals. He's got Asa Lacey, the left-handed pitcher from Texas A&M, going at number three to the Marlins. Uh, But it seems like it's Spencer Torkelson and then a lot of question marks right now. See, not question marks in terms of the talent, obviously. Question marks in terms of where are these guys going to fall? Right. I almost see it as a big three. I mean, that's that's the way it seems to shake out to me is that, as you mentioned, Spencer Torkelson going number one to the Tigers is basically all but hammered out. I mean, it, there might be a 5% chance they go elsewhere. They go take Aza Lacey um, because he's a really good talent coming out of Texas A&M and a pitcher. Uh, but it, it seems like they're going to take Torkelson at one. And then Austin Martin and Aza Lacey in that mix for the Orioles at two. And then whoever of those two don't, or, you know, whoever of those three is left for the Marlins, the Marlins will just pick that up. So it seems like there's a there's a big three. There's constantly rumors going around right now that the Orioles, who have the biggest signing pool right now, might try to go under slot at two uh, and take, as somebody you mentioned, like a Nick Gonzalez or maybe even a Zach Veen, a high school outfielder out of Florida, um, you know, come to some pre-draft agreement with them, use some of that savings to get whoever drops to their next pick. Um, obviously, that's a little bit of gamesmanship, the Orioles being what they are right now. You hope they're turning the the corner in their rebuild, but they still need to add all the talent they can get. And if they can get, you know, a top 10 talent with the number two pick and then a top 20 talent uh, with their next pick later uh, at number 30, that would be pretty good. I still don't see how they leave somebody like Lacey or Martin on the board. It seems like they're going to take Austin Martin, um, one of the best hit tools in this draft, somebody coming out of a strong program at Vanderbilt. There are a couple questions about him defensively, where he's eventually going to fit. Uh, you mentioned he's a third baseman. He's also played center field. He's also played a lot of places on the infield. Uh, where do you fit him? But when the guy's got close to a plus-plus hit tool, an above-average run tool, uh, you just you take him and then you don't worry about it. You'll figure it out later. Um, so I think it is that top three. It's it's if that falls into order, Torkelson one, Martin two, Lacey three. Uh, that's what I would bet right now. Uh, it's like four through ten that I think is that next tier, and then things get jumbled real quick. You know, you mentioned the Royals uh, at number four. Do they prefer a hitter? Do they prefer a pitcher? They they obviously have great. Uh, pitching talent in the system right now do they look elsewhere do they really value Nick Gonzalez and what he was able to do this year and last year at New Mexico State winning a national uh, collegiate uh, batting title 
uh, and putting up really good power numbers, albeit at an extremely high elevation. Uh, hashtag Coors, if that exists for New Mexico State. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think the question marks come after the big three. It's possible the Orioles could pull the rug out under from all of us and, and make us question that. But I would be surprised if that Torkelson, Martin, Lacey mix, if they don't go one, two, three, then that'll be a surprise for me. Um, what else about this draft? I know later on in the draft, a lot of really uh, kind of high floor college arms uh, in that first round, especially. It seems like there are a lot of guys who could make relatively quick impacts. But what, when you look back, you know, you've been doing these tool shed retrospectives uh, on the last several draft classes. A few years from now, when you look back on the 2020 draft class, what's going to stand out about this first round? Yeah, I, I think it, it really is going to come down to what type of risks are teams willing to take on high school talent right now, um, given what the financial status of the game is right now. I mean, we talk about these bonus pools as if every team's going to use all of their bonus pool. We don't know if they are. We we frankly don't know if that's going to affect uh, their draft strategy. Some teams might be like, hey, we're going to punt the draft this year. We're going to take super safe guys. We, we know we can sign all for a below slot and we're going to take that savings and we're going to pocket it because we're not making money right now. That That's a possibility until we see otherwise, frankly. Um, so what happens to high school guys? Is, is somebody like Mick Abel, you know, a, a right-handed pitcher, and I know a lot of pe- teams don't like to take prep right-handers because of a history of development and how difficult it can be. Does he tumble out of the top 15, the top 20 even? I, I don't know if that's going to be the case, but given all that's in play right now, our team's going to lean towards safe players. I'm going to be watching that. Um, one player I think that's fascinating in this draft is Max Mayer uh, or Meyer coming out of Minnesota. Uh, just six feet tall, but his stuff is killer. He's got a plus plus fastball, a plus plus slider. Everything would be there for you to think, okay, this guy has starting pitcher dominant starting pitcher written all over him, except for his size at six foot. Um, so what does that do? Or is there going to be a club that's like listen we'll take on the reliever risk just because the stuff is so good and because the stuff is so good we're playing hopefully knock on wood uh given all the things that are out there about the negotiations we could be playing in a truncated season Meyer's stuff could be good enough to make the majors right now do you just stuff him in a bullpen and see like hey let's see how this goes like that that would be a lot of fun and i i feel like with taxi squads and expanded rosters and everything, everything should be on the table. Um, I don't think Spencer Torkelson is going to make it to Detroit that quick just because they don't need him and they're not going to compete this year no matter the size of the season. But if a team on the edges of the top 10 takes him and says, hey, we're going to go for it because it's 50 games and anything can happen, that would be a lot of fun. So um, are there going to be teams that prioritize potential, not necessarily major league readiness, but high floors like you said, Tyler and people with college pedigrees who can move quick and potentially help up the club this year. Uh, that'll be really interesting. So I don't think we're going to know the full extent of this draft and what it all means until it's done. And we're looking back on it and we find out, you know, some high school pitcher who would have been taken in the eighth round this year and probably would have signed, ended up going to South Carolina or Florida or UCLA or Arizona state or something became a really dominant pitcher. And instead of being molded by a major league organization was molded by a college staff and it, all these teams missed out on him because of this truncated draft. I think that's going to take years in the making even more so than we normally say. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting a few years from now to, 
um, you know, hopefully uh, society has returned to normal and we will have a uh, a long form story on the maybe back end of the top 10 round athletes who ended up going a different route, going to college or going wherever and seeing how they've evolved. Um, put that in my good ideas folder. Pam, put that in my good ideas folder. <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah, we are uh, obviously going to be covering the draft at MILB.com. Um, we will have stuff up on the site. There's already stuff up on the site looking back on uh, the, the last few draft classes as Toolshed has been profiling. And also, uh, in addition to our Road to the Show pieces about recent draftees and all that kind of stuff, Sam's preview stuff as well up on the site. And uh, with that, we're going to hear from a guy who was uh, this time last year in this conversation on his own. The Miami Marlins have uh, really amassed quite a collection of talent, and we get a chance to talk about that this week with J.J. Blade, the second-ranked prospect in that Marlins organization, the top outfield prospect in that organization, uh, and a guy right now only behind Cisto Sanchez in that system uh, as far as prospect rankings go. Uh, a selection in last year's Major League Baseball first-year player draft in the first round, the fourth overall selection. J.J. Blade joins the show next. As an official partner of Minor League Baseball, Nationwide is here from life's first pitch to the seventh inning stretch. Whether you're looking for protection for your house, car, pet, or small business, Nationwide offers a wide range of products and support to make sure you're getting the right coverage for your specific needs. Visit Nationwide.com for more information on how we can help take care of what you have today and plan for what's ahead. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Mutual Insurance Company, Columbus, Ohio. Joining us this week from the Miami Marlins organization and uh, a guy who is on the fast track toward Miami as we get uh, hopefully closer to some baseball in 2020 is outfielder J.J. Blade, first round selection of the Marlins last year. J.J., what's going on, man? How are you? Nothing much. Thanks for having me, guys. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. So tell us, you know, obviously we've started off every interview over the last few months just kind of checking in with guys to see where they are and what they're doing, and it's such a, an unprecedented time. I mean, you'd probably be uh, in double-A, if not triple-A by now, and uh, instead we're all kind of in this holding pattern. What have the last few months been like for you since spring training was, was called off? You know, um, it's kind of a weird situation, like you just said, but uh, honestly just kept it pretty simple like an off-season training routine, which is – you know, Monday through Friday, doing something baseball related. And then I lift Monday, Wednesday, Friday, three total bodies a week. And then take the weekends off and kind of just um, enjoy some downtime really still when you can. But uh, really just kind of keeping that anticipation to just be ready and in shape uh, to go whenever. How nice is it as a, a guy who was uh, a college player last year, selected fourth overall, jumping into pro ball? That's such a long season. I mean, for high school guys, it's long enough. But for college guys, you guys basically get started in January. You're not done till September, October. Um, it's obviously not a situation that anybody wants. Much rather be playing baseball. But what are the benefits of coming off of such a long year and now having a little bit more time to rest and get ready and all that? I'd say the main benefit is your body. You know, you're not you're not roughing up your body as much as you would be on a, on a daily basis. And it's not like it's 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 really um, like you know you're you're beating yourself up like football. It's just it's just you're doing the same thing uh, every day, and you're you know you're not getting as much rest time as you would per se in college in, in college baseball. You know, pro ball you're you're playing every day, and you just got to make sure you're 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 taking care of yourself before and after games and in this case we don't have any games so just make sure you're taking care of your body uh on a daily basis to to like i said anticipate that that 
that go point whenever whenever they call you. Call you. And, and you mentioned before this is basically uh, an off season routine that you're working through now. But in between what was a normal off season for you and this weird off season we're in now was spring training camp. You got to go be a part of major league camp for a little bit as a non roster invitee. What did you take away from that? And what takeaways are you still carrying into your workouts now as you try to round out your baseball profile? Oh, that was a good question. So, uh, uh, right now in terms of spring training, uh, it was one, it was just blessed and fortunate enough to be able to, to do that. My first, my first, uh, spring training that's just uh it was an awesome experience learned a lot from a lot of the big league guys there um you know guys like Corey dickerson brian anderson miguel rojas uh and many others and, and just to be able to see like i was talking about before how they take care of their bodies their routines and when they get there what they're eating when they lift and just how they're managing their time in order to go ready and, and be prepared to compete in the game and it was just cool to watch that on a daily basis and to be around that because it really it really does motivate you, and, and it keeps you uh, it keeps you wanting to do that and, and, and strive to, to win ball games. And then on the other hand uh, of that question, or the other question, just keeping keeping those reps and those um, those you know whether it's outfield or, or hitting, just make making sure they're high focus reps, and you're not wasting wasting energy, wasting uh, you know energy on your body it, it just it just helps the focus makes it more game light and, and it keeps that training more randomized so that when it, when a game does come around and you are starting to take at bats uh you know you've been here before and you're and you're ready locked and loaded and not waste any of those opportunities and i want to jump back further uh one of the reasons why we wanted to have you on the show around this time was because we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the mlb draft when like tyler said you were taken in the first round by the marlins uh fourth overall but i want to talk to you about when did you know that you could be a high pick because your career at vanderbilt was an interesting one you were a starter you know as a freshman you played a bunch you know, 50 plus games as a freshman you play a bunch of games as a sophomore you're basically playing all three years but you really exploded as a junior hitting 27 homers leading the nation in that category uh at what point did you feel like not only am i am i a good draft pick because coming going into vanderbilt a lot of guys expect that but uh not only that but a high draft pick yeah, I mean, I, I I knew that you know I knew it since high school. You know, I I knew I wasn't ready to be uh, a high pick in in high school, and I knew I wasn't developed enough. But I knew way back then that if I keep working, if I keep um, developing and growing as an individual uh, and, and as a baseball player, you're gonna have a chance for success at Vanderbilt. And to me, that was my that was kind of my mindset going into college, and to 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 be able to have a junior year like I did and to be able to, to win a national championship with uh, a, an unbelievable team from one to nine and a great, you know, staff and um, pitching staff and coaching staff to, to be able to do that. It's just, um, it's just really a really cool situation. And um, sorry, part of that question. Oh, it, that, that was basically it. It's just like, when did you know that not only were you going to be a good draft pick, but a top five one, like especially that high. So probably around SEC tournament, it was just one of those situations where, hey, you you've done everything you can to to put yourself in a good spot to get picked, and now no one really knows when they're going uh, in terms of draft day. Yeah, anything can happen, but I knew I, I had a chance to be a top pick from that SEC tournament, 
and and even before maybe a little bit in uh, SEC play. But you know, like I said, you just put yourself in a good position, and and you, you can't you can only control what you can control. So you just kind of got to sit back and embrace every moment in that process. And before that junior year and before that SEC tournament, you were known as a good hitter. You hit 368 as a sophomore. You had a good a good cape. But uh, like we mentioned before, you led the, the the nation in home runs with 27. You go from four as a sophomore to 27. That's a big jump. I know there were some oblique issues back there in 2018. Mm-hmm. But what allowed the power to make such a significant jump for you in your third year on campus? I think it was one you're getting a little bit stronger each year as you know you're just maturing, and um, you're you're not you're more comfortable in the box. You're missing less pitches. You're able to have like be more disciplined in your approach, and when that happens, things something clicks, and you're able to keep that routine and keep that consistency of uh, of not of not missing pitches, and to be able to take advantage of certain counts and and, and in certain guys in certain scoring positions. So you're just overall you. You, you kind of have a a feel of of how people are going to be pitching you come that third year, uh, your junior year, and you're you're able to um, if you if you take advantage of the time right in the off season, you're able to prepare and, and make sure you're, you're you're honing in on your approach and not missing. JJ, let's go back to to high school. You uh, are a Pennsylvania native, play a couple years uh, in your home state, and then go to Florida for your junior and senior year, which is a a place where you really get to test yourself against a, a different level of prep competition. What was what was the decision process like for that? I mean, was it a, a family move or something that you did with with an eye on baseball? Take us through your your four high school years that set you up for Vanderbilt. Yeah, so uh, uh, freshman sophomore year, I was in Pennsylvania which was uh, where I grew up at. You know, that's, that's my original hometown. And uh, my dad took a job offer down here in Panama City, and he actually ended up operating on my high school coach's father, who um, kind of got in contact, and I was able to, so once we moved down here, once the family moved down here, we were able to uh, go to the high school and develop a relationship with the coach and, and you know, finish my career off in high school, which it wasn't easy, but... It was sure worth it because the level of competition down here in Florida is much better than Pennsylvania just because of the weather and um, you know there's there's just more schools and and a, and a higher population of people so it's uh, it was definitely the right move and um, definitely looking back it was uh, uh, it was worth it all. How do you think that helped prepare you? You know, you go from a, a state that's got some good high school baseball in Pennsylvania, but you jump into a, a hotbed like Florida, yeah. and then all of a sudden you're in the SEC. I mean, that's you make uh, two hugely substantial jumps. How did that move to Florida help get you ready for for SEC ball? I, I'd say it just uh, it goes to the level of competition. You're you're facing more college college prospects in the uh, in the high schools around here in Florida, just because uh, the level of recruiting I think is more highly scouted in, in this area than, than it was where I was particular in, in Pennsylvania that, you know, Pittsburgh and Philadelphia and, and other parts of Pennsylvania, there's some, um, some great competition, but around here, that, that was probably the game changer to get ready for SEC play because one, the, the coach down here in Florida was, uh, with a college coach. So he, he gave you a mentality and an idea of, of having a culture to, to win up to win state championships and, and to be able to just win ball games, so it was just coming out every day on a daily basis and able to compete for a job and, and make sure that uh, when you get an opportunity, you're making the most of it. 
And I, I want to speaking of SEC play and and jumping back to what we were talking about with with Vanderbilt. Uh, you guys won a national title last year. Uh, take us through that College World Series route. Not only are you dealing with the draft and, and trying to figure out where you're going, and then maybe eventually signing. I'm sure you left that until after the season, but. Um, the potential start to your pro career with also a run to a title. What was it just like around 12 months this time last year? It was just like, it was surreal. It was like too good to be true. Cause like you said, you know, you, you get, you get picked, you, you win the SEC, you, you win the SEC championship and then you win uh, the national championship. It just, you know, you, the stars align and it is just, you couldn't have drawn it up any better. So it was just, uh, one of those humbling experiences where you guys got to sit back and embrace it. You just got to say, Hey, uh, you know, we, we've all worked hard for these situations and, and you just kind of got to uh, go with the flow of things. And when, when I got drafted and then ended up signing and coming down uh, to Jupiter, again, it was, it was a cool situation to, to be challenged right off the bat and to be, to be able to be in, in high A and, and really show, um, uh, really get back in the groove of things and and just show yourself and challenge yourself to to compete on a daily basis. So it was just uh, it was, and it was just you know one of those things that just couldn't have drawn it up any better and and uh, just just an overall fun fun experience. Yeah, and, and I'm glad you brought up Jupiter because I was going to bring that up. And what was that transition like? Um, you know, going from playing in front of rapturous fans in Omaha and at Vanderbilt to the FSL, which, um, you know, was played in a lot of spring training parks. Jupiter, at least you're close to Miami. A lot of Marlins fans yeah. around there trying to get to see you. Um, but jumping straight to high A like that, what was the transition like in terms of competition, um, parks, uh, the whole thing uh, when you went from Vandy yeah. to Jupiter? Yeah, well, one, uh, you know, guys are throwing way, way harder more consistently, I'd say, you know, on a day-to-day basis. Whereas in SEC play, I'd say, you know, those Friday, Saturday, and, and even Sunday games, you know, there's there's guys that that are throwing that speed, um, a high velocity, but definitely in pro ball, there there's a more quantity of them uh, for sure. And then there you got the heat, you got the rain almost on a daily basis, so you may be playing a doubleheader two to three times a week when these games are getting canceled, and then. Uh, the ballparks are big. Yeah. The ballparks are big and uh, the heat. So it's, it's, it's a bunch of things that play in effect, but it, it helps you grow as an individual and as a player to, to be even more prepared when these situations occur. So you now I was really appreciative of the Marlins starting me off the right off the bat because, you know, they, they, they trust me to, to, to go out and challenge myself. And, and that's, that's one of those things that you can only ask for. So it was uh uh, cool situation and yeah I'd say those are the main things that are, were the difference yeah when you're talking about hard throwing pitchers or, or any part of that environment uh, what do you remember as your welcome to pro ball moment what, re, you know just the the game maybe it was the first one maybe it's your first at bat but at some point when did you realize a this is my day job and b this is going to be a lot harder oh that's a good question I um I don't know. I'd say I'd say my welcome to to pro ball was probably probably the first hit. You know, just like one of those experiences where, like, hey, this is a new chapter, and uh, I just got to make the most of it and, and do the best you can to achieve to achieve what you want in this game. So I'd say that was that was probably the coolest or one of the one of the starting points in that. And then um, I'd say when it was my first away trip is when I realized like, all right, this is you know, it's definitely tougher was 
in Tampa, I believe. I didn't know it was um, Port Charlotte. It was Port Charlotte. We're facing the Rays high team. And I think I, I hit my first home run there, but I think that might have been my only hit that whole weekend. So I was like, all right, yeah, welcome to Pro Bowl. So it was just one of the, it was just a, a, a funny situation, but one you, you got to look back and embrace because it's only going to make you better. JJ, the uh, the start to a pro career, you get so many uh, very quick ups and downs, I would imagine. But then you get all this time to, to de- decompress and kind of analyze it and figure out where you want to go. If you were going to evaluate yourself coming into this year from kind of a, a scouting point of view, what are the things in 2020, you know, let's say we were living in a, a normal world where we were already into a season right now, but what are the things that you most wanted to be able to progress with this year? i just say getting my reps. Just, just getting as as many at bats and as many opportunities as you, as you can, because ultimately that's the best way you can just get better at baseball. I mean, in every aspect of your game, is just playing as much as you can. And to me, that's all I was looking forward to. I, I, I felt very confident after uh, big league spring training and going into minor league spring training, to body physically wise and mentally wise, with um, whether it's your swing, your the way your body's feeling, strength wise, and, and the way your mind's feeling. So. I was like I said, I was just looking forward to getting at bats in order to 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 keep going out and, and just uh, proving yourself. There are so many guys in that Marlins organization right now um, that are just really dynamic and exciting talents. And I think, you know, several years ago we would have looked at that system and thought there wasn't a whole lot there. And now you look at it and think, that's sneakily one of the best systems in baseball. And the thing that they've done so impressively is you're the second-ranked prospect in that organization, according to, to MLB Pipeline. Three of the other top four around you are guys that the Marlins have acquired via trades. And uh, that system mm-hmm. has been so reinforced. What's it like being part of a way that seems like it is it's headed toward making some really big things happen in Miami really soon uh, it's, it's awesome it's it's a great opportunity it's so much fun to see like the level of talent and the level of depth we have in the organization and it's um, it's just fun to be a part of because you know what can what can make this team special and, and in order to in order to help contribute in any way possible so it's just one of those things to look forward to and to keep working on because, uh, you know, that's um, that's where everyone wants to be. That's where all those guys want to be is in the big leagues. And to have that uh, com- competition and that camaraderie is just a cool aspect in, in order to become uh, a good win- winning organization. Yeah, and, and there is a transition there as well, I feel like, especially with you coming off, like we said, a, a College World Series win last year, the highest of highs of of college baseball now you're in a rebuilding organization that you know hopefully by the time you make the majors the, the marlins are ready to compete on a day in and day out level but what is that transition like just going from the expectation is so high in vanderbilt to miami where it's hey this is going to be a long road until we can reach those same heights well i i wouldn't say they're they're really much different i mean i mean listening to Don Mattingly in big league camp, you know, everyone wants to win, you know, I mean, regardless of, of, of what you may have, you know, these guys are competing their butts off every day and they're, they're, um, they're wanting to win, you know, from staff down. And, and in terms of that, it, it wasn't really that much different. I'd say the only thing that was different was, you know, you're, you're closer to more guys just because you're spending more time with them um, on a day in and day out basis, whether it's class or, um, I don't know, uh, hanging out on the weekends, you know, in pro ball, you don't, you may not get that as close, but you're still with those guys 
on a daily basis, but it, it's, it's no different at all. You know, everyone wants to win from, from top down. All right. And, and uh, one other last thing we wanted to ask about is, you know, there's so many things being thrown out there right now about what baseball could look like when it returns. And one of them is an expanded major league roster up to potentially 30 players on the after active roster and maybe a taxi squad of 20 as somebody was probably going to start out this year at double a, I feel like you could be on the cusp of that taxi squad. Is that something you're thinking about? How much are you being looped in, in terms of what your status could be whenever spring training two eventually starts, hopefully here in a couple of weeks, you know, how much are you thinking about, Hey, I could be a quick step away from the majors here uh, in a little bit of time. Uh, I mean, I haven't really uh, gotten much information from uh, the organization. I don't think really any, anyone has, so the only thing I've really been thinking about is just make sure I'm ready to go when, whenever anyone, anyone calls and anyone needs me and whenever we got a report. So I can't control and I've really thought too much of the taxi squad, even though it'd be, it'd be a, a fantastic situation. Uh, you know, to me, my mindset is just to take, make most of the, the, the days in between and, and, the, and the days ahead and, and, and make sure you're ready to go when, regardless of where you're, where you're headed. All right. Well, we all we always end our questions these days without minor league baseball, not knowing when it's going to return, what it's going to look like when it does return. Uh, we've asked every player at the end of every interview this, and you may have answered it before, so feel free to repeat yourself if you need to. But uh, what so far during your time in the Marlin system has been your favorite minor league moment? Favorite minor league moment? See, I haven't been. I've, I've been. I only played, I think, 40 games the minors, so I feel like I've really <laughs> been there that that often to to develop a bunch of memories. But, oof, favorite one. Um, I don't know. I just I just say playing some intense ping pong games before and after some games. <laughs> whether whether I mean I mean I'm talking intense. There's some good ping pong players in the Miami Marlins organization i'll tell you that right now you got braxton and garrett humberto mejia you got some good quality talent in, in terms of ping pong on that squad so that's probably what i remember most of the intense ping pong matches <laughs> it's a pretty good it's a pretty good place to be for your first uh your first season those are where the, yeah. the relationships are built you know like that stuff off the field exactly. is how you know everybody's got your back on the field that's big stuff yeah, no, that, that's that's huge camaraderie. I mean, it's just it's just fun, you know, like competing with one with one another in the in in little games such like you know like that. That's just a uh, can't beat that. That is awesome. JJ Blade is the second ranked prospect in the Miami Marlins organization at number twenty eight overall, according to MLB Pipeline in the twenty twenty top one hundred. And uh, JJ, stay safe and uh, and be well. And thanks so much for giving us the time today. And we'll hopefully be seeing you on a field real soon. Yeah, no problem. Here. Which Copala de Versan hat is the best? Now is your chance to crown the champion of all 92 Copa Caps via the Greatest Gorra Tournament, presented by Echo Outdoor Power Equipment. The recently launched campaign provides you, the fan, a chance to win exclusive prizes from Echo and select official on-field Copa hats while celebrating the cultural contributions of Hispanic communities through culturally relevant on-field identities. Be sure to join in the fun and vote at MLB.com contests.
Wrapping up this early week episode of the show before the show, we'll be back with you again uh, coming up on Friday, and we are going to have a, a really cool conversation on uh, this is such a moment for social justice in our country. We're going to have a, a conversation about uh, a moment for that in baseball coming up later on this week, uh, some stuff that's already on social media as of today, but we don't want to spoil it. We'll uh, have that conversation later on in the week. And uh, again, if you didn't get a chance to listen to our interview last week with Nick Heath or two weeks ago with Josiah Gray, um, we've had some really great conversations on this show over the last couple of weeks and those two really stand very large uh in the context of where we are at this moment in society and um for now we'll think about uh the the draft and what is coming on wednesday and later on this week we will give you some reaction to what came uh in the draft as if you're a tigers fan be excited everybody else be excited just maybe in a little less certain way because that's what draft week is all about right yeah yeah you're gonna instantly find out who your team picked and then probably be like wait who is that and we'll have that for you (laughs) so we got it all coming up on uh the second edition of the show before the show this week and uh until later this week he's sam i'm tyler we'll talk to you then